My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Hi, and welcome to the KingCast. My name is Eric Vespi. My name is Scott Wampler. And we are your co-hosts on this journey into the written and cinematic worlds of Stephen King. Typically, we have a guest coming on to talk about their favorite King adaptation, but this one's a little different. Scott, why don't you tell the people why? Well, this uh, this episode breaks the format a little bit. Um, we are approaching an adaptation, but it's an adaptation that almost literally no one has seen. Um, we are here today to talk to Glenn Mazzara, who is who was the showrunner on the Amazon Prime Dark Tower series. That they shot a pilot for this, uh, but it didn't. Um, for one reason or another, Amazon decided not to take it to series. We were able to see this pilot. And furthermore, we were able to get Glenn to to come in and tell us about it. And not only the events of, you know, the pilot itself and, you know, there's there's tons of stuff in there that uh, should be new to our audiences, but also uh, for what his plans for the entire series were going to be going forward. And man, this guy and his team really knew what they were doing, didn't they? Yep. No, this is going to be a bittersweet listen because uh, after listening to him passionately and knowledgeably discuss Midworld and and everything therein, uh, you'll realize that this guy was the guy to do this. Yeah, he was totally. he was going to do it right. Um, yes, this breaks format just a little bit. Uh, this won't always be the case, but this was a special occasion that we couldn't pass up. Uh, I also want to give a huge warning that just due to the nature of us discussing uh, his adaptation, not just what he had recorded in the pilot, but all of his future plans, we do go into heavy Dark Tower spoilers. So if you haven't read the book, this is your chance to bow out, bookmark, and come back whenever you uh, finish that. that Final warning, people. Final warning right here. Yeah, we're not kidding around. I mean, we literally talk about the end of the book. (laughs) Yeah. Like in the first 15 minutes, I think. I should also point out, because uh, I think we're going to jump right into the interview, but just to give you a little bit of an idea of like uh, who Glenn is, because you might not be familiar with his name. Um, he was a showrunner on The Walking Dead. Uh, he worked on FX's The Shield, which is probably my favorite cop show of all time. It was like Breaking Bad before Breaking Bad was Breaking oh, Bad. It was so good. I love The Shield. We'll do a Shield podcast after this one. But um, he also worked on Damien, the, the A&E series that was uh, based on The Omen. Um, this guy knows his genre shit forwards and backwards. Um, and we were, well, uh, we were just delighted that he, that he came on to talk to us. And we think that w- what he had to say will, uh, fascinate y'all as much as it fascinated us. Yep. And without any further ado, let's jump right into it. I think that we'd want to start with, uh, your Stephen King origin story. Like everybody has, has that, that moment when they, kind of fell head over heels in love with Stephen King. Um, mine was was reading Cujo when I was in sixth grade. Uh, so maybe we can start there. I think it was in high school. I read The Stand, and it just you know blew me away. That's, that uh, sequence in the tunnel just absolutely yeah. terrified me, if you remember that. 
And then uh, I just, over the years, you know, I read a lot, but I, I've read a, a ton of Stephen King. I've probably read maybe 30, 35 of his novels, you know, which is, I think, less than halfway there. And, um, you know, I started kind of thinking about adapting him and, and getting into it uh, years ago. I um, adapted uh, a work of his for Overlook Hotel. And I, um, you know, there was a, a, uh, a prologue to The Shining. And when he originally wrote The Shining, he wasn't the Stephen King yet. So the, his editor actually told him the book was too long and they cut this prologue and it sat in a drawer at Warner Brothers. And it was sort of like little vignettes of every decade leading up to the story of Jack Torrance. So I had to make... Yeah, this is before the play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was before the play. So I um, came up with a take about Bob T. Watson, who was the man who, you know, you know first built the hotel. And I had to... Um, you know, I was nervous as hell. I had a right to Stephen King and introduced myself and say I was going to start adapting this material. And um, I had just been on The Walking Dead. So I wrote to him and I said, you know, Mr. King, um, you don't know who I am, but I'm a TV writer and uh, I'm a huge fan of yours. And I made a list of all the novels of, of yours that I've read. And he wrote back and he said, I know exactly who you are because I'm actually watching an episode of The Walking Dead. And just as your credit came on, your email popped onto my screen as well. So your name is twice on my screen. And I, we were both like, oh, that's a little Twilight Zone. <laughs> so of course that would happen. So that was my first interaction with him personally. We ended up having a conversation about that. And then we've treated a lot of emails over the years. So, um, but it all started way, way back just reading The Stand. Is The Stand your favorite king novel or, or do you have did you come to find another one uh well you know we'll talk about dark tower i think i think you know what what i really love i love uh wolves of of the kala you know i i just i just love that novel and so uh, that was the one i really kind of always go back to and stuff you know i uh, just something about that story and about callahan's story within that and everything i just yeah i i love that i love salem's lot and so that's an interesting pick that one came out that was that one came out like a few years after wizard and glass yeah. which was a huge that like that one was when Wizard and Glass came out, uh, I was at military school and did not have like we, we were allowed to go into town on the weekends, uh, you know, just kind of get out and around. And um, my parents came down one weekend. By that point, I had read all the Dark Tower books, you know, the first three over and over and over again and, and had been waiting for the fourth one. This was before the Internet. So I had no idea that book was coming. And my parents came down for the weekend and we went into town. And we went into the mall and into a B. Dalton booksellers and sitting there on the counter was wizard and glass. Mm -hmm. And I wish I had video footage of my reaction to that. I melted down in the store to see like, holy shit, the fourth dark tower book is mm -hmm. out. 
the the wait in between those books was the, the only other thing I've experienced like that was waiting in between uh, seasons of the Supreme. Right, right, right. It was right, just right. like you know, dying to get back to the story. Mm-hmm. Glenn, how did you um, how did you come to the Dark Tower, and how did you approach uh, Amazon with it? Well, um, it was uh, three years ago, so it was March 2017. And uh, I um, got a call uh, from my agent and he said, um, you know, MRC, uh, who does, uh, you know, they did a House of Cards and Ozark now and, and, and uh, actually The Outsider. Um, they are, um, you know, they want to know if you want to take a meeting on, on the Dark Tower. So I said, OK, you know, I'm very interested in that. I, I, I love King. And, um, you know, but I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. I haven't done, I haven't read those books. I need to do a deep dive on that. So I read the, the gunslinger and they, you know, had some coverage or whatever. The coverage really doesn't make sense, you know, when you're sort of breaking (laughs) it down, but I could tell that there was this huge mythology and that there were, that it was going to be complicated. and, And I knew that they wanted to, uh, that they were making a movie. I didn't know anything about the movie, but I knew it was coming. So I went in and I met with the executives and um, they said, well, what's your pitch? And I said, well, I really don't have a pitch. Uh, this material is too complex to just work up a pitch, you know, in, in a week or so. Uh, I would really have to, I'll tell you how I would work up a pitch. And I said that I really felt that the trap for a TV series like this would be to service the mythology over the character. I said, it's about this guy, you know, Roland, he wants something. And we have to kind of double down on the character and really, I think, tell a story that has a lot of heart. And if you start to get into you know, jumping through different portals to different timelines. And, and, and that becomes the focus of the show. You sort of end up with a, a more of a science fiction type show where, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of times when you have time travel or alternate realities or things like that, you know, you could have different versions of the same character. And I think that takes death off the table. It sort of takes away the stakes and and I could just feel that there was a depth to this character of Roland that was really something to to kind of go along and be in his journey. You know, there was, he was really carrying the weight of many worlds on his shoulders. So I, I you know, really said it, to me it was about the characters and, and, and I had, you know, earmarked some of the characters that I thought would be interesting to explore. And... Um, and I drove out of there thinking like, okay, I, I didn't really answer the guy's question, you know, the he- head of MRC, <laughs> but he called me as I was driving home and he said, I've never seen a writer do that. Um, we really feel like you're the man for the job. So we're going to, we're going to, you know, make an offer. So I said, great. So I, I started working on, on, um, you know, I had a, a uh, uh, an assistant named Tanya Lotia, who's fantastic, and she had read the books, and she's a super geek. And so I, you know, she, we hired her as like a staff writer, and and I would just kind of go through the material and sort of break it down, and and I came up with a, an initial pitch, and my goal was to 
you know, this was one of those properties that they were going to have a movie franchise and then there was going to be a TV show and maybe the story would bounce back and forth between the two entities. And so I wanted to sort of take, uh, you know, Wizard and Glass and do Young Roland and sort of carve out that world and carve out everything before the fall of Jericho and, and make a series out of that, you know, and end with the, the fall of Jericho. And then I figured that the guys making the movies, they could have the adult Roland story. And, and, and that way I was carving out my parcel and, and it would be free from interference. That's what I was really trying to do. So I wrote a, 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 an initial pilot that involved, you know, it, it actually, I was really trying to look for an in into the story. And so I had definitely young Roland and, and the heart of that was Roland catches Martin and Gabrielle in bed together. He confronts them and then he challenges court uh, for his guns and he uses David and the whole sequence. I mean, it was really a lot of fun to write. So I wrote that and we went around with a, a pitch and we went to pitch around town and Amazon was very interested in that. So we sold to Amazon and um, Amazon then, you know, wanted to develop it in a way that we didn't um, necessarily have an origin story. They felt that seeing him getting the guns just kind of put too much on the table up front and they really wanted a, an immersive experience and something that, you know, fans had to, uh, you know, do some work to, to kind of lean in and figure out who these characters were and what was this world. You know, everybody wants the next Game of Thrones. And so, so that was sort of part of the discussion there. So I hired a um, um, I hired Tanya and and uh, uh, another woman, fantastic writer named Joy Blake, and we had a a uh, mini room, um, and we and and Joy came up with the idea of well, why don't you still keep the idea of Roland and challenging court and all of that, and just make that say episode zero, all those events still happen, and we're you know coming in at episode one. So those things have just taken place off stage in the audience, and that's the mystery. So I thought that was fantastic, and we we worked up a, a you know a, a lengthy pitch. So I pitched that to Amazon, and they said, "Great, let's go write the um, the first two episodes." So I wrote the first two episodes. And then at one point, you know, there were competing projects at Amazon, very expensive. There's Lord of the Rings, there's Wheel of Time, there was um, um, many others. They were really looking to build out their genre um, um, division. So we were going to shoot two, the two episodes, but they were budgeting out a, a very high price. So it was decided, well, let's try to just shoot a pilot and, and you know, pilot's always a proof of concept. So I had to do a rewrite. At the end of my pilot, I had, I, of the original pilot, I had introduced the quartet, but Roland had not connected with the quartet. And I thought that that was really important to, if I was just going to shoot a pilot, I want to get everybody on stage together. So I um, rewrote that, and then we shot that in Croatia last year, and it was a tremendous shoot. I can tell you about that shoot, but it was just incredible. It was just a scale that, that many people had not seen before for a TV pilot, and we worked on it. We had great visual effects and music and stuff, and 
you know, unfortunately, I think the price point was really big. And, and um, you know, I just think the, uh, you know, unfortunately, it just wasn't picked up for, for a number of reasons or whatever. But I'm proud of what we did and really feel good about the work and, and, and really felt that the mission of creating an immersive world was something that we, we uh, achieved. That came across in in uh, in the pilot, and I think that that your obvious love for the world and the team that you build around you's love for the world, like shown through crystal clear, got it's got to be challenging because the the thing that people love about the books is that it's so weird. You know, it's got the it's a weird mishmash of all these different uh, genres and concepts, and you know, in the the it, it's almost schizophrenic, you know, book to book. Um, but that's kind of the personality of it. Um, and I, I love that you embraced that, that weirdness, you know, that you don't feel the need to have to explain why this uh, Gilead seemed to be designed to be, you know, a, a hodgepodge of different kind of architecture from like, you know, skyscrapers to, you know, old uh, like Roman buildings and, you know, things like that. Well, yeah, I think, I think, you know, we, we really did, that was a big challenge is how does this all come together? How does it all hang together? You know, you have a medieval quality, you have a Western, obviously, you have a sci-fi horror. You know, what's interesting about, you know, you know, I love horror. You know, I watch a lot of horror. I read a lot of horror. And um, the term weird and weird fiction isn't really in the the public eye, you know, uh, but people don't understand what you mean by that. They just think it means bizarre or quirky. You know, they don't yeah. understand that it's it's about a, a sense of dread and, and all the things that, to me, weird fiction stands for. So there was a lot of, a lot of concern about how is this going to hang together. And really, you know, you just have these discussions. We had a really, really talented team. We had a fantastic director, a guy named Stephen Hopkins, who did such a beautiful job. And, and you know, it did hang together. You know, suddenly you have this, these Western, you know, but you have these sci-fi elements. You have horror. I definitely wanted to hit the horror hard. You know, that's where my heart is. And, um, you know, at one point, um, Steve King wrote to me and he said, yeah, you nailed the weirdness that there's this one (laughs) shot that is exactly what I was going for. That's kind of the the exact feeling of what I I wanted. So, you know, what was the shot? Was it the tahine, like when he sees the, no, no, the tahine no. like turn around? No, no, it wasn't the tahine. It was it was when uh, Roland is in the cart g- being brought back to Brown's. After Brown finds him in the desert, he brings him back, and there's like a satellite dish on Brown's, and and Brown is obviously a scavenger, and he picks up all this weird stuff in the desert and everything, and he brings it back and you know and and people who haven't seen the pilot you know it sort of feels like a an outpost apocalyptic junkyard type setting and uh you know brown lives in a bunker instead of just a uh you know a, a cabin on on a on a prairie you know uh that was one thing i was we were very careful to stay away from even though we wanted western tropes we didn't want it to feel one you didn't want it to feel like west world and you didn't want it to feel like it was on a, a um, you know, uh, uh, like a prairie town. So what we did was when we created Gilead, we started thinking, okay, well, what would Gilead be? And we thought, well, 
you know, before the great Chicago fire, you know, Chicago was considered like one of the gateways to the West. So we took that cast iron feeling of those skyscrapers and extrapolated them into the future, into some sort of apocalyptic future. And that gave us a very fresh feeling for Gilead. And then when we shot it, we shot some of the, the there's an arrival where, where um, Roland's father brings, brings some, some people into Gilead and he's met at the gates of Gilead. And we shot that in split Croatia. So it gave us like sort of an old, you know, medieval post-Roman feel, right? When we went to Hambry, we, uh, for Hambry, we thought of another, a different Western town of San Francisco before its fire. So, you know, obviously a hill town. If you look at the streets of Hambry, a lot of them are sloped, you know, if, if, you, if you recall from, from, you know, the pilot. So mm-hmm. we really kind of wanted to go with that type of feeling. And that kind of gave us a, fr- it made it feel more, uh, more specific and I think more authentic and, and really help with the, um, hopefully the immersive experience there. Now you said that originally this was being developed as sort of a, parallel thing with the movies, assuming that the movies worked out. Correct. So I'm curious at what point in your work did you realize that franchise was not going to go forward and you were sort of working on a solo thing, you know, now it's, now it's a new thing, you know, that, that well, must've changed your approach. Yeah, right? it did. Uh, you know, it was, I, that, that movie came out in the summer. So, you know, during the summer, you know, we were worried that that was hurting the IP, you know, the, 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 the did that signal that there was a lack of fan interest in the IP. That was really a, a, a discussion. I was not worried about that movie because uh, genre fans are used to things being rebooted all the time. Yeah. So, uh, sure. you know, they just want it to be good. You know, I, I think, you know, obviously, you know, there are a lot of fandom that are very, very tough on material. But I, I think people root for things, especially if you show that you're, you care. And, and, and I felt like we were putting the level of care and love into this work. So at some point when it was clear that they were not going to make other movies, and I was actually thankful that somebody made that movie, believe it or not, because it showed, because I think that movie just turns into a, a very much of a comic book portal type movie. And it was, mm-hmm. it was exactly what I said not to do in my initial pitch. It was, it was, it was, <laughs> it was, it was, about, it was about the Dark Tower. You know, I, my plan was not to mention the Dark Tower, you know, not to explain there's a dark tower, not to, you know, there's a version in which you open the, 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 the show and you say there's a dark tower and, and these are the guardians of the dark tower and all of that. And it becomes about that, you know, and, and I wanted Roland to find the, the dark tower and, and to, you know, find it as he finds it a wizard in glass. He looks into, he looks into the grapefruit and he sees it. So, and I, I want to talk a little bit about the structure of the pilot in a second. But what, what, when we realized that we had um, that the franchise was was not viable uh, or not going to continue, we decided, okay, we can, t- t- you know, lay out the entire epic. Now, do we? Now we had a choice: do we go back and start with? The gunslinger. Do you start and tell the story in a linear way and then interrupt that narrative and have this large cutaway, possibly in your season four or season five to Wizard in Glass, right? That's that's a viable option. 
I now I started thinking about, you know, I've done a number of TV shows. Some have been successful, some not so successful. And one of the things, you know, this was my first project after Damien. And Damien, I had a five-year plan for, and I really mapped out that plan for different reasons. The audience didn't show up, and I only got one season. So it's con- so I did not want to take the risk of, of doing one season of The Dark Tower, right? right. So what I, what I wanted to do was let me start with Young Roland because I feel if you look at the events of, of The Gunslinger, very early on, he commits a genocide. He kills everyone in a town. He performs an abortion with a gun. He's raped by a demon. Uh, he lets a, a young boy fall to his death. And then at the end of the novel, he he um, catches the guy he's been looking for, and they sit in a cave, and he falls asleep and then wakes up decades later, and the guy is a bag of bones. So, so, so I've, I felt, you know, okay, I would love to, I will tell that story, but if I lead with that story, it's conceivable. I might not get a season two. That's conceivable. I was worried about that risk. (laughs) So not that it wouldn't be good, but I was, I was just concerned about that. I was, I I felt a a responsibility to fans to get this done. So I thought if we have a character that loses everything. He loses his mom. He loses his dad. He loses the love of his life. He loses his quartet. He loses his land, his kingdom. He just loses the entire world, you know, and he feels responsible for it. And then when he's stumbling through that desert, you know, to me, that was going to be episode 304. When he's stumbling through that desert, you know, we've seen him lose everybody in the Battle of Jericho Hill. Then all of a sudden the audience is invested. The audience has gone through the process. The audience has lost all of that. And now the audience understands exactly who Roland is when he meets the adult quartet and he he, um, um, goes on his journey. So I felt that by putting the the wizard and glass story and the, and, and the, the story of Farson and all of that by putting everything before the battle of Jericho Hill at the top of the series, I thought would invest the audience so that when Roland does these anti-hero things, and I've written anti-heroes, I'm not afraid to write anti-heroes, but I just felt, you know, the television market, we've seen anti-heroes. I, I, I felt this was the best way in, so that that was that was part of the decision making. And these were, I mean, I would say, you know, listen, I've read these things now many many times. I would say maybe I wrestled with that decision for a solid year, and I worked on nothing else for three years while I worked on this project. Well, I, I think you had the right uh, um, the right approach because, like, as much as I love the Gunslinger. If you, if you, you, if this is a series impossible to break down. If you're going to make it a series, you can't have it be season one is the gunslinger because then you are going to have what three episodes, you know, you can't stretch that thing out uh, really into, uh, into a full, a full season by itself. And then you have these later books that are, you know, am- amazingly dense and thick and, you know, and would be, if you were doing it one season per book, then you'd have one season that's like 24 episodes. And then one season that's, that's five, you know, um, possibly yeah. my, my plan was, my plan was 
basically to keep, you know, a, a book a year, um, with the exception of the, the, um, uh, the last two seasons was sort of um, um, six in the front part of, of seven. I would have ended se- season six with Eddie's death. Now, now, now here's a question uh, looking at the long-term plan. Um, and uh, I think some hardcore Dark Tower fans might might understand where I'm going here. Uh, you were saying you were ending uh, the, this initial run with a battle at Jericho Hill. Um, was Roland going to be taking the horn with oh. him? A very interesting question. Um, no, he was. He was. He was. Uh, here was one thing. Let me back up. <laughs> <laughs> he was not going to take the horn because in the books he does not take the horn. It's you when, weren't making a sequel. You were making an adaptation. No, but yeah, I was going to shoot that scene twice because when he enters the tower, then he has the horn. And I, so I was going to have Roland not leave, you know, like he, I believe he falls out of a cart with bodies or whatever, and he runs off into the desert and I was going to have the the horn in the foreground and he definitely leaves the horn behind. Then I would have written the scene in which he picks up the horn. He runs, he comes back, he picks up the horn. And I would have banked that scene for when he enters the tower. Mm-hmm. And I would have flashed back to that scene. Now, it was conceivable that the adult Roland who enters the tower was not the young Roland. It could have been two different actors. Yeah. So I would have done that. Two is I had also planned to bank fresh footage of every single character who is killed, Mm. which is basically everybody. So that when Roland walks through the tower and he has that parade of memories, that those were not, that was not footage that was then cribbed or like a flashback, like, oh, we saw that from episode three or we saw that. I was going to have, I was going to have a director come up with a way to shoot that. And and actually MRC had, had come up with, with a, a particular fee that had never been done before to to uh, cover that uh, with the actors, so I was really already thinking about the the last the last episode. So if you you know in the pilot, the pilot opens on Roland in the desert, right? Okay, and I'll just explain to people that that the 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 story of the pilot is basically Roland is crossing the desert the man in black fled across the desert and Roland followed and the gunslinger followed but he's chasing in this version he's chasing Martin because Martin was with Gabrielle and he has vowed his, his revenge yes and he's vowed his revenge okay in the books that's actually drops out after he you know says he's, he gets his guns to kill Martin and then Martin sort of disappears from the narrative so, so I, I thought that was a good line. And, and what he would do is he would chase Martin across the desert and end up in Hambry. And he meets Susan. And in the pilot, they, they, um, it's the uh, Feast of the Kissing Moon. And, everyone's, and she's being presented to the mayor. And, and she uh, you know, meets Roland on the road. And then, and then Roland goes into Traveler's Rest. He has the scene with, um, uh, where they trip Shimi. Uh, where they, the big coffin hunters trip Shimi and Roland gets into sort of a classic a Western standoff. The Katat has been chasing him through, you know, they catch up and we have Cuthbert use the, the slingshot and he takes out one of the big coffin hunters. 
and then they go into the the square and as they're arguing and Roland is saying that he's you know there to uh, you know find and kill Martin uh, Susan grabs him and they dance you know and they actually dance to to um, uh, a flogging Molly tune which which I, I love. <laughs> So, uh, and then the big coffin hunters come in and are chasing him through the square, uh, and, and, but Roland sees Martin. And so, so everything all collides at the end. So I was sort of taking this preamble of the desert of him chasing Martin through the desert to, to stitch it onto wizard and glass. And then I had written the season one scripts. And so, you know, we, we were, you know, uh, Martin was in Hambry and so now what is Martin doing in Hambry? Well, there's a grapefruit in Hambry. <laughs> so I had Jonas and Rhea and Martin all sort of vying for this. And of course, Roland gets the grapefruit and he ends up seeing the tower. And, and because of, you know, his, his connection to the tower and, and his problems with the big coffin hunters or whatever, he's unable to, to save Susan. So you know, it was it was a very close adaptation. I had some things that I kind of had to smooth out because there were gaps in the material that I needed to make sure I'm I'm patching. But um, that that was the plan for for um, season one. Yeah, it occurs to me that I really hope uh, everybody listening to this podcast uh, is a Dark Tower fan and knows the books because this is going to be Greek to anybody who doesn't know <laughs> know the story uh, yet. I think. Well, it's filled with spoilers, so you. you you it's guys, not a literal grapefruit, folks. It's a, it's, it's, it's like a scene. Watching stone. the, uh, yeah. watching the pilot, I felt like you were striking the right balance between sort of the remix approach that the, the movie was going for, but you know, also telling it in the way that that sort of made sense. Like, like right up front, you give people that opening they want. You know, it says, you know. The man in black fled, fled across the de- desert and the gunslinger followed. He's in the desert. You get to see the brown thing. But then, you know, it transitions into uh, to Wizard and Glass. And I thought that was a really clever, um, a more clever way to to remix the elements than than what they did with, uh, with the movie. But how would you have, no, how would you have arrived back at, say, Tull? You know, the massacre in Tull. Like, would would that have come after? Would that be like a second season thing, or would you have done away with that? No, no, no. So, so season two, season two, I would have had him. Um, um, okay, this is interesting. So, if season one ended with um, the death of Susan in uh, Wizard and Glass, very quickly, you go from the death of Susan, and then you go to the death of Gabrielle, his mother. Um, I felt that that I, I needed a season to give me real estate so that the Gabrielle character, um, so that that death didn't step on Susan and that it felt as an escalation. You know, in a way, Roland fails to save Susan, but he actually shoots and kills his mother. So, um, and in the book, Gabrielle is not really uh, a detailed character in the way that, say, Susan is, or or even Rhea is. Gabrielle is 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 really not fleshed out, you know, as as uh, she just doesn't have as as many pages attributed to her. And I love that character, you know. The, uh, you know, the actress we had for that was Elaine Cassidy, fantastic Irish actress, and she. Um, 
really did a great job, I, th- I felt. So I wanted to kind of build out that relationship, build out who she was. And, and, and so I was going to, at the end of season two, have um, really, you know, that the war, the war with Farson is building. Um, I was maybe going to use the, um, uh, uh, what is it? The, not Skinwalker, the, uh, the you know, the shapeshifter story where Roland goes in. Um, Isn't that the, at the beginning of uh, Through the Keyhole? Yeah, it's through the keyhole. So I was going to use that as maybe part of the, part of season two, and I was going to kind of, you know, get uh, and and get to the death of Gabrielle and the uh, probably the uh, probably um, either the fall of Gilead there or the fall of Gilead would be uh, the season three premiere. Uh, very quickly, there would be a last stand at Jericho Hill. And by episode 303 or 304, you have Jericho Hill. And then I was going to have Roland stumble out into the desert and follow him stumble into the desert. And then I was going to do a time lapse so that maybe you actually age Roland and switch actors and then have a new Roland reset the show at the top of season three and then go into, um, you know, the, the drawing of the three. Hmm. That's ballsy. I mean, go, ballsy. Go, no, I'm sorry. Go like into cheating. Gunslinger. Go into Gunslinger. Go into Gunslinger, and then go into by the end of that season, maybe into the drawing of the three. So that's how I was going to do it. Yeah. So I would have had Tull. Tull probably would have been episode three hundred five, three hundred five to three hundred six. So, so the end of the third season would have been Roland on the beach. Then probably definitely that kind yeah. of yeah imagery. Yeah. 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 Uh, what was the name of the actor that played Roland in the uh, in the pilot? Sam Strike, just terrific, just fantastic. You know the the, yeah, the other thing that you know the the other the other thing we had to think about during the um, adaptation. One thing I like to to bring up that I don't know if you guys caught, but you know um, it was so we had his his quartet right, and his quartet was Cuthbert. We were saying Cuthbert. Um, we were saying Alan Johns, you could say Alan or Elaine or whatever, mm-hmm. but I, w- I was, and then we had, um, and Cuthbert was a played by, uh, Khalil Madovi and, and Alan was played by Frankie Fox. Right. And we were saying Alan just because that was kind of easier for everybody. Cause the, uh, uh, Alan just, you know, I wanted it to cer- certainly land in, uh, we had a lot of British actors and stuff and I, I wanted it to feel, uh, American West. Okay. So then we had two other, uh, members of, of the quartet. We had Jamie DeCurry who was played by a woman, right? Joanna McGibbon. And, um, mm-hmm. and then we had added another one, Eileen Ritter, who is mentioned in the books, but is not a gunslinger. And she was played by uh, Daisy, uh, uh, Faircloth. And what, and those two women are black. And I know that, you know, in the movie, there was a lot of discussion about, you know, Idris Elba being a black Roland. And so, you know, and I expected some fan debate about, you know, are we stepping on Susanna? 
by having um, um, Roland have encountered black women before he meets Susanna. Okay, I, re- I remember that was that was something that people were discussing about that if Idris was black, what happens when he meets Susanna and da da da. I remember seeing that kind yeah. of debate online. But in my mind, I was I was starting to write Jamie and Eileen as two different characters so that when role as, as having two very strong, uh, very different personalities so that when Roland meets the adult quartet, they are all familiar to him and the audience as characters that we've known and loved and, and cried when they died, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So these two characters of, of Jamie and Eileen to me were going to be fused in the character of, of Susanna when she has the, you know, fused the two personalities of, of Detta and Odetta. So I was, I was, I was deep in the, like, listen, I, I, like I said, I've been doing this for three years. I, I feel like, you know, that, that, that Japanese soldier that they found in 1971 and, and he was like, what world war two ended? Like, I feel like I've been behind the lines in, in Midworld for three years and I've just sort of stepped out and I'm like, what, there's a pandemic going on. Like what is happening here? You know, like, so I, I was, I was very, very deep into the, like overthinking every single thing. So I don't know if that's interesting or not, but I throw it your way. It pains me to hear this because he, You've you've put you put so much thought into this, and it's all really good thought. Like these are great ideas, you know. Like it's it's um it's disappointing we're not going to get to see this. This is this well, is great. You know what? I have to kind of think about it. Like it's a you know it's the business, and I it, there's a risk and stuff. And I think it's it's been interesting because uh, like just me personally. You know, I feel like I did my best writing on on these scripts, and now those scripts are just going to sit in my laptop. You know, so so it's made me kind of think about, and especially this time when we're all home during the the pandemic. Um, you know, who am I as a writer? You know, and 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 it's sort of like, you know, Stephen King cast such a huge shadow over all of us. So for me to kind of think about, well, you know, he doesn't let anything stop him. He just keeps going on. He just is like, okay, here's another 600 page right. novel. Here's another one. Here's <laughs> another one. So in a way, I've kind of like like shook my tree and and kind of like really kind of made me commit to being a writer. And I I, I feel so. Yes, unfortunately, you know. That this this series won't get made the way I wanted it. You know, somebody else will have to make it. But I think it's it, I I wouldn't change anything I did. I can't second guess it. I had a beautiful experience, and I got to make this you know incredible piece of art that I can you know show my friends. You know. Well, yeah, and again, it sounds like you came from it, you know, uh, from you have to be that kind of obsessive compulsive, you know, with detail if you're going to be tackling the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and uh, and I think we can share you. You let us read a little bit of the uh, flashback to the court uh, fight where Roland earns his guns. And I was talking about this with Wampler earlier, like the reason why I took so much to that that piece and I'm like really disappointed we don't actually get to see it unfold is um, is, is that was a moment that I remember when I read the gunslinger it, that, that was, there was something about that that hooked me. And now looking back at it, that is Roland's character in one 
sequence. Yeah. That is a, a guy who is determined to, 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 to get one thing, you know, when we first meet him, he's obsessed with the tower. Um, and in this moment, he's obsessed with killing Martin and, you know, he, his journey is always plagued with, he will be the guy to do it. He will, um, be ruthless about it and he will kill any allies as, you know, cause it's less important than the goal. Right. And, uh, you know, when you get to the final book, you, you find out that, that Roland's kind of doomed to repeat this, this quest. And the point of failure is always when he lets Jake drop, you know, again, that's, that's him choosing, you know, that, that this, this kid that he's grown fond of and cares for isn't as important as his goal. And that's very much what happens in the fight with, with court, who is the guy who's been training these, these uh, young gunslingers. Right. And, and I, I think, I think, and I think Roland becomes that guy. I think, you know, my version of the fight with Kord, which is very close, you know, it is very close to the the beats that are in the book, you know, and I did use a lot of the, uh, you know, exact dialogue and, and, and when, mm-hmm. you know, Court questions him, you know, why have you come here and all of that stuff, you know. The um, ritual. Yeah, the it. ritual. Yeah. So part of what I wanted to do with Roland up front is, you know, he's a young man and he's not sure of his skills. He's not sure of himself. He's not that, you know, the, the, the young Roland would not let Jake drop. He wouldn't, he's got to go through his process. He's got to go through his suffering to, to become hardened, to become that kind of guy, you know, because, and, 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 you know, in the books, he, 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 Roland is better when he's a man of action. You know, when he has questions of heart, he gets thrown off, you know, and but so but uh, there's an there's a, a, a sense that he wasn't always like that, that he was close to Cuthbert and Jamie and 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 Alan and, you know, that there's uh, that he beca- he became hardened because of his journey and what happened with Martin and, and, and the Farson and all of that stuff. So, you know, it's, it's a really fantastic character. You know, I mean, I re- remember writing to King and saying, well, you know, did Martin use magic to influence Gabrielle, which would make it a rape or were they really in love? I, I said, I think they were really in love and he said, yes, I think that makes it more complex, you know, so it, it, it's, it's, it, it is complex, you know, there were some things that, there was one thing I couldn't make work when Roland go, catches um, Gabrielle and Martin is that it's actually scripted that he's on the rooftop and it seems like, and Martin has a reference, you know, go back to your hand. So you're not sure if Roland is actually jerking off on on the rooftop over the over <laughs> Gilead like it's it's not clear and i uh, you know robin firth is the uh the consultant for all this material i remember asking her and she's like yeah it's a little tricky so we i had written that they had um um cuthbert was having trouble you know learning how to use his hawk and everybody was cribbing one night and was staying in the yard and then um there was a, they saw a Billy Bumbler and like kids, you know, chasing, you know, like a, a, a critter or whatever, they start running around and it's just, they were just being kids, 
you know, and he's, and they're chasing the Billy Bumbler. And I really wanted to get a Billy Bumbler on, on stage in, in season one. I thought it would be a lot of fun. And as Roland's chasing this thing across the roof, he looks across into his mother's bedroom and that's when he sees it. So you have this moment of pure childish joy and friendship completely ruined by seeing his mom's betrayal and sexuality, what he sees as a betrayal and and certainly confronting his mom's sexuality. So, you know, it's it's a a moment of loss of innocence. And so the plan there was to um, play that as a flashback in the sixth episode. And what I was going to do was have the quartet is this interesting to you guys? Am I prattling on or? No, is, no, is this it? is okay. great. Okay. Okay. So, so what I was going to do was I was always going to have the quartet. Tell us what's happening. Tell us what's wrong. Why are you after Martin? And, and Roland could not share that information with the quartet. He's trying to be the leader. He's trying to be his, you know, Stephen son. He's trying to be all of these things. And then, and then um, it's when he's with Susan that he opens his heart and that he can be honest and he can be true. And then that makes it even more painful when he's unable to save her at the end. So that whole story, that was sort of my take, but it was all about just taking what's there and just sort of trying to get it all in, in a way that was, was still letting the characters drive the action. That was more important to me than, 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 you know, the Dark Tower and, and those planes. They, I wanted to establish the characters and get to that other business later. I'm curious about something, though, because you said that um, it's unclear whether or not um, Gabrielle was in love with Martin or mm-hmm. whether or not she was under his spell. But as you've written it in that portion of the script, she's quite clearly in a trance when, when Roland goes into that room. Yeah. So isn't she under the influence of magic? That's Roland's version. That's Roland's memory. If you think that's what he wants it to to be. Yeah. 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 That, that's, that's a subtle difference. Yeah. And, and at some point uh, I was going to have a a scene between Martin and Gabrielle. Now that's not really written in, in the books, but, you know, um, like I said, Gabrielle was, was Elaine Cassidy and, and um, Martin was played by Jasper Pekanen and both two, you know, I, I cannot tell you how happy I was with the cast. I mean, phenomenal actors. And, and in a way, the, the biggest loss to me is that I don't get to work with these people that I really came to care about. But um, just to put those two on the stage to say, you know, what was this? You know, tell me. I, I I wrote a scene in which he goes, "Tell me, tell me. Did I use magic? Did I rape you? Tell me, tell me what I did." And and Gabrielle is really torn between her her duty to Stephen and 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 Roland and and her relationship with with Martin. So it was it was really uh, going to try to be as complex as as possible. I love the guy that you had. I I won't try to pronounce his name and just butcher it. uh, But the guy that was playing Martin is excellent. Jasper. Jasper Pekonen. Yeah. Yeah. Jasper Pekonen. Just amazing. Like super off-putting. Yeah. You know, like you don't want to, you, you look at this guy and you're like, I don't want to be anywhere fucking near this dude. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like it just makes your skin crawl. And he looked, he looked to me like, Sort of um, 
like early 2000s where Marilyn Manson went through that like fascist phase where he had like the black comb over and was still like all white. Like it's just it's upsetting to look at. It's so good. Well, we 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 also had, you know, we had a lot of different um, subtly different clothes for him. His hair sometimes like his hair cut was was weird because some parts of his head was shaved, some part was long, some part was kind of, you know, um, um, shaved down to the skull. Some other was like a buzz cut. So it was it was just he was indescribable. You know, well, what did he imagine somebody saying, well, what did he look like? Did he look like this? Did it? I'm not sure. And that I think is kind of Martin's effect. You know, we also did have something that we call the Martin effect where we had this, this visual effect where he kind of shakes in and out of, 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 um, not that he's materializing, but he just, we did this weird thing where we kind of stretched as he moved sometime. And that was because you know, certain characters in, in the material Darkle and Tink, which is, I'll just, that's a deep cut for <laughs> anyone who's not a fan no, or whatever. And, and so we were sort of trying to represent that in a way, you know? Well, and it, what's interesting about that is, is it's the polar opposite of um, the instinct uh, that the movie went with, you know, they cast, they, they went the more, Randall Flagg aspect to the man in black. They went the Matthew McConaughey, the charming, uh, you know, the guy. Loki it, trickster. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing that I, I like grabbed onto when I saw Jasper in the role was, was that he was really giving off kind of that, um, that, that kind of crazy agent Danvers and the frighteners, you know, mm-hmm. energy, to where you just can't take your eyes off him whenever he's, he's there. Like, cause you, he's unpredictable. You can't tell what he's going to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I I, I thought he did a fantastic job. Yeah. Were there, were there any elements of the books when you were sort of plotting all this out where you were like, you just didn't know how you were going to do it or you, you felt like it was unadaptable. You know, it's, it's a, a very hard thing to adapt this, this entire thing. It's so complicated with so many moving pieces. So was, was there something where you were like, I just, I don't know how to make this work. No, I, I, uh, I, did, did you figure out how to get, uh, how to not make the answer to the big bad guy, you know, introducing a character to erase him at the end? <laughs> no, I, 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 no, I, I really felt, you know what i i i was gonna give it a go i mean i i had a rule you know with the writers that if something was canon you know that if something was really really important we were gonna really try to make canon work you know so so you know so there was never going to be a version in which roland did not shoot his mom there was never going to be a version in which susan lives you know what I mean? There was never going to be, a, a, you sure. know, a version in which Roland doesn't drop Jake. You know, um, I thought some of the challenges were, you know, or, or I'll say this: a couple of things I was really looking forward to was um, I was really looking forward to um, Blaine. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I had ideas he, for he that. He is a pain. I, I was really, really looking forward to Callahan. Uh, in fact, I, I uh, 
was hoping to take Callahan's backstory from the time that he um, leaves Salem's lot to the time he ends up in in uh, Midworld. I was I wanted to do that as like its own mini series. I didn't think you could fit that into the Dark Tower proper, so I wanted to split that off. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. I had. I had plans to hire the best joke writers in, in Hollywood to, you know, write when, when, uh, uh, Roland and, and Susanna, uh, meet, uh, Dandelo, you know, I really wanted that to be like laugh out loud funny. I was, you know, I mean, I really, you know, so there were all these things that I was just jonesing to do. So there wasn't anything that I felt, you know, if anything, I was worried about the wolves looking like Dr. Doom. I wondered mm-hmm. if I would get like a trademark issue with with Marvel or <laughs> if that would be possible. You know, I, I felt like that might be impossible to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, just you because of golden snitches. <laughs> yeah, I just felt I felt like, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know. Is is somebody going to allow that or whatever? I was I was more worried about the Doctor Doom of it all. But for the most part, yeah. I, I felt like, you know, uh, you know, a project like this takes time. You have to know the material. You have to care about it. And I think it was it was just a matter of building that team. But I didn't feel that anything was impossible you know i didn't i didn't something you didn't mention in all this is that stephen king himself is a character in the dark tower at, at some point well that's interesting. You know, i would solve that problem by hiring uh, bill Hader and just being done with it but <laughs> well that's possible you know you know I, I i would have crossed that bridge when i got to it i would have either you know if stephen was up for it you know well, we we could have done it otherwise i would have cast somebody to play stephen king you know i i i, w- I did have a fantasy i i've i've never been an actor i've never been a thing but i did think it would be funny if i had my cameo there you know that like i'm I come in and, and I, I have, you know, like I'm like sort of like an Igor type character and Stephen King just throws a bottle at me and is like, get out of here. But if he's going to be a character in the books, then I felt like I needed to be a character in the, uh, the show. But I don't want to be I, I really don't want to do that. But I just thought him hit me in the head with a bottle or something would be um, a great honor. <laughs> so do you think that this series will eventually get made, whether whether as a franchise of movies or, uh, you know, a, a, an ongoing TV series. Do you think someone will do it? Yeah, I think somebody will. I think I think there is interest. Uh, I'm hopeful. I'd like to watch it. You know, I mean, I would have liked to have done it. Um, I, you know, I think I think it's just a matter of the the timing. You know, somebody has to listen. It, it's an expensive show. It's a sprawling show. You have to really do it right. You have to have a team of, you know, people who really commit to knowing this material. And, and, um, and I think the, the audience, uh, you know, would have to be patient. I mean, this is a huge undertaking. So, you know, I'm sure people are going to listen to this podcast and go, thank God Glenn didn't, you know, get to, to, you know, that that show didn't make it because he would have screwed it all up. You know, he didn't know what he was talking about or something. But, you know, you can't just shoot those books 
you can't just point a, a camera and like film those books. It's not going to work as a TV series exactly the way it's written. You're going to have to make changes, just like anything. You're going to have to adapt. You're going to have to, you know, keep characters alive, have characters disappear. You know, you're, you're going to have to do that. I hope whoever does make this show, the audience shows up for it. Because having been on it for so long, I know how much hard work it's going to be. And it would be just a shame. Sometimes you can put out material, you know, like I felt like when I I really, really worked just as hard making Damien. And when Damien came out, a lot of people were like, oh, you know, he should be a senator. This is stupid. He's a war photographer. This show sucks. And, you know, Glenn screwed up The Walking Dead and screw this, you know. And, And the show got dismissed very, very easily. And I think if you watch that show for you know to the end, I think it really sticks to landing, and I think it says something, and I, I I'm very proud of that. So sometimes you know these these shows can come out and they can get easily dismissed um, because there's so much material coming out, and I think that you know part of the the um, the the, the uh, allure of the Dark Tower is that it makes no sense. You start reading it, it makes no sense, but it grows <laughs> on you and you come to love these characters and you come to love this world and you start to feel it and you kind of have to sit in it. You know, one of the most important scenes, like I was going to have when Roland gets the the glass, you know, the grapefruit, the glass, and he sees what he sees and, he, and, and I wanted him to kind of fly, you know, he's looking at a vision. This was going to be at the end of uh, episode seven. And, and he flies and, and he was going to go over a view of him and Susanna and Eddie and Jake and Oi sitting on their road to Oz. Okay. They're, they're on the road to Oz and he was going to go over them and then go past them and, and go to, you know, to the to field of roses and then go to the dark tower and, and all of this. And that's how he was going to see the dark tower. And, and then just sitting on the road, you know, spending time with each other. I, I think that's what's what's magical about this is that you really sit in this world. You inhabit the world with these characters. You know, the story is difficult to say, oh, this happens and then this happens. It's not a traditional type of story. It's it is immersive. So I would just want whoever does make this that I hope the the critics and the fans are patient and realize that you need to sit in this world. It's not so much. It's not. It's not going to be a usual TV show about, or a set of movies, or whatever you want to call it, about you know what's happening. You know, it's 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 not like that. It's not. It's 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 different. Right. It's 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 a it's a, a a space that you inhabit, and so that requires patience. And that's maybe not always something that critics and and. Uh, TV audiences have, but I think that's what's needed to enjoy the Dark Tower. And I think you just underlined what's like the most critical failure of the of the movie is that not only do they condense the first three books <laughs> into one narrative, they do it in like ninety what four minutes, ninety three, ninety four minutes, and and it you don't have time to breathe. You don't have that movie's at its best when when you, Roland and Jake are you know, stopped and they're just sitting and talking and building their relationship. And, and that's when it feels the most dark tower to me. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. That but that's, but that's you can see, of- you can see how 
and I wasn't involved in the movie and, and all of that, you know, I've never spoken to anybody who, who was. So, so you could see how though a creative team would think uh, we got to get to it because the audience is going to be hungry. The audience, you know, is, is a monster that needs to be fed story. And this has a lot of stories. So you could see that decision now that, you know, we could look at that movie and say, well, okay, maybe that wasn't the right decision possibly, you know? Um, but you, you, but, but that's not an unreasonable approach for that movie. That's, it's not, you know? And, and then unfortunately it didn't work and, and it's difficult because I felt like, you know, I'm, made very thoughtful choices uh, about my show and you know my show's not going so someone clearly thought my show didn't work so it's it's a tough nut to crack and and i think there's enough interest and the the uh, material is important enough somebody will crack it sooner or later but they're gonna have to have very very deep pockets i think i can't imagine what it's like to work on something for three years and to be as well versed in it as you clearly are like you, you've done your homework just from a creative standpoint. I mean, I know it must be unpleasant, but how do you move on from that? How do you spend three years of your life doing this thing and immersing yourself in it? And then it doesn't work out and you're like, oh, fuck it, I got to move on. Like, how do you do that? Okay. A, a couple of things. I mean, uh, thanks for asking that. That's a tough question. So, so I appreciate the, the opportunity to address that. One is, you know, I, I, I really do commit to being a risk taker. Okay. Sometimes my risks pay off. Like when I went on to the walking dead, you know, and then sometimes my, my risks don't pay off, you know, but I still take risks. And that's why I think people hire me in the first place you know, and if I, you know, I mean, I, I said to, you know, at one point I, I was having this conversation, you know, I was low, I was low for a couple of days and I was talking to Bear McCreary and, and Bear said to me, uh, you know, we were on the phone and, and he's, he's, he's a great, great friend. And he said to me, he said, look, if you want to go do, you know, I used to work in a hospital. He said, if you want to go do a hospital show for a network or you want to do a cop show, I'll be right there with you. But he said, but that, that's not what you do. You know, you're kind of like out there in the wilderness. You're always kind of fighting to make it great and to kind of do that stuff, you know. And, and, and he said, that's why I want to work with you because, you know, you really do commit to, to trying to do something special. So that was really gratifying. And, and when I wrote to when I it was very painful to write to my cast and crew and to say, unfortunately, the show's not moving ahead. You know, I love the people in Croatia. It's a tremendous country. I had a, a blast working there. They were so hardworking and beautiful people. You know, it was just it was just great. And the cast was fantastic and writers and my post department and, and, and without exception, you know, the studio, uh, MRC and, and Amazon, they were fantastic to work with. Everybody was supportive. It just didn't come together. So I had to write to my cast and crew and and um it was painful and they wrote back to me and it sort of, it was right around Christmas and everybody was saying, well, this was a great experience. This was, you know, I, I was given up acting and now I found my love again. I found my passion. I never thought I'd be a, a part of something that was, that was this special. So it sort of turned into like my own 
little, you know, it's a wonderful life. You know what I mean? So it was really kind of gratifying to, to get that feedback. And then over Christmas, I just sort of thought about one of the things I, I did think about was, was I have spent a, a lot of time in my career, um, you know, working to help other people achieve their vision. And, and if I could do anything in my career, maybe I would have generated more of my own material, you know, like, and I, I, what I would like to do is sort of, you know, I, I love making TV. I love working with people, but I think I sort of, you know, I've been reading a lot of weird fiction, a lot of horror fiction. I have a lot of ideas. And so I feel like I need to just kind of today I did it. I was up from six to eight. I'm working on a short story and I just want to kind of generate my own material and just, you know, and, and that'll be for me, you know, I don't need to worry about if an audience shows up, I don't need to do that. So I, I, it's, it's about me kind of saying, okay, you know, when you make TV shows, there's the risk, but the thing that the legacy or the, the, um, work that's for you, you know, I think just has to be prose, you know, it just has to be a novel. You know, I have an idea for a big sci-fi novel. I have a, I have many ideas for for horror stories or whatever. So I think I'm just going to kind of organize those thoughts and 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 you know, I look at I look at Neil Gaiman's career. I, I respect Neil tremendously. I've met with him in the past. I'm sure he wouldn't remember me, but <laughs> I enjoyed meeting him. And, and, you know, he's a guy who's, who's obviously a super talented writer and, and now he's pushing into TV and he's, you know, running shows and doing that. I, I might be a reverse Neil Gaiman, you know, <laughs> I don't think I'd ever be as successful or as, as, as talented as Neil, but the idea of, you know, I'm doing my TV, but then sort of, you know, pushing into, to a place, having gained confidence as a writer to to tell my individual stories and to just kind of put those out there and and if anything learning you know working on the dark tower you know it's it's about for me about emotional connection because again the story is so bizarre and goes in so many twists and turns that you you know it's kind of hard to follow at some point you know so um i i think i think if anything you kind of I think I I go on by trying to reinvent myself and just realize, you know, I had this opportunity and I was really, really lucky to be able to take a crack at it. You know, I'm happy with what I did. Well, I for one hope you don't completely uh, give up on the visual uh, medium uh, based on on the the pilot and, and the little glimpse of the scripts that you've you've uh, so graciously showed us. Well, thank you. Um, and uh, you know, and my read of the Overlook Hotel uh, and ev- everything that I've I've seen you do, it's very clear that you bring uh, a high level of uh, attention to detail to this. You you have uh, not forgotten the face of your father. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. I, I imagine that people aren't going to get to see the pilot. But, no. you know, it, that is a it's like if, if I could communicate anything to to Dark Tower fans, it's that you really fucking got it. Like you understood it. The people involved really understood it. And, you. you know, that would have been a really, really interesting take on it. The whole thing's kind of heartbreaking. But, man, what a piece of work. Well, thank you. But, you know, there are other worlds than these. So we'll move on. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, well, I, I hope that you'll, uh, uh, we won't keep you. This has been going way too long. I, I hope that you will uh, consider coming back and, and talking us, with us a little bit about uh, yeah, you know, uh, Overlook. I, I'd love to pick your brain on that one. Sure. You know, and, I, and, I, and I am working on, on you know, other TV projects now. I'm actually in a, a period of development now and stuff. So, um, yeah. So I'll, and, and, you know, some of that is horror. Some of that is thriller. Some of that is sci-fi. So um, uh, I'd love to come back when, I, when we have uh, more time. Yeah, we'd love to have you. Thank, thanks again for uh, for coming on. Great. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to that episode. We hope you dug it as much as we did. Uh, you can dry your tears a little bit knowing that we're not getting getting that series. Uh, but in, we're, we've got something to calm you down a little bit. And that's our tease of next week's title. Yes. Scott, do, do you want to uh, tell them? Well, how much do we want to divulge here? Um, it's based on a... Oh, I can say the episode. I forgot. <laughs> it's Carrie. I was gonna try. I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna tease the the topic, but there's no no reason to do that. Yes, it's Carrie. Um, yes, going way back to the beginning, the very first uh, King novel, the, the 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 novel that made King uh, who he is today. And we have a not only a excellent guest for this one lined up. Uh, I will say it's our first female guest that you'll be hearing on the show, which I'm personally very excited about. Um, but she knocks this appearance out of the park. I was delighted to uh, to talk to this guest about specifically Carrie. And um, I'm really excited for people to hear this one, too. Yep. So if you want to uh, reread or read it for the first time, if you haven't, now is the time. You got a week, uh, which is plenty of time. This is one of his shorter, his uh, shorter efforts. And you don't uh, need to you don't need to fuck around with like Carrie Two or any of the Carrie remakes or any of the. We're going with the the De Palma version, the only one that, well, the only one that really matters. Let's be honest. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you next week for that one. See you later, guys.